This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So as the weather warms up, we're outside gardening or doing yard work. There are so many opportunities for skin issues, right? And for me, it's always a mystery to know what's going to irritate my skin, but I'm definitely out there itching and scratching. But the good news is active skin repair always seems to save the day. Active skin repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, making it suitable for use on all skin types, all parts of the body, and even on rosacea, eczema, and acne-prone skin. Here's what I want you to do. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and get 20% off your order when you use code JOYFUL. Again, that's www.ActiveSkinRepair.com. Find out more about the product and get 20% off your order when you use the code JOYFUL. Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to Joyful Courage, a conscious parenting podcast where we tease apart the challenges and nuances of parenting through the adolescent years. I am your host, Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and adolescent lead at Sproutable, where we celebrate not only the growth of children, but also the journey and evolution that we all get to go through as parents. This is a place where we keep it real. Real stories, real parenting. The teen years are real messy and there aren't many right answers. But the more we trust ourselves and trust our teens, the better the outcomes can be. The parenting we talk about over here is relationship-centered. You won't find a lot of talk about punishment, consequences, or rewards. What you will hear is a lot of encouragement about connection, curiosity, and life skill development. Our teens are on their own journey. And while we get to walk next to them for a bit, we don't get to walk for them. Their work is to learn from the tension of their life. Our work is to support them and love them along the way. I'm so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. All right. My guest today is parent coach Allie Payne. Growing up, Allie was the smart, fun girl on the outside and a frantic, anxious mess on the inside. She spent years healing the pain of dysfunctional family relationships, including eating disorders and a suicide attempt to break the cycle, raising her own boys. Allie's passionate about empowering parents with fundamental relationship skills to end the painful disconnection, emotional blowups, and stressful silences and build healthy relationships with their teens based on trust and respect without giving up or giving in, even if they've tried everything and are at their wit's end. Today, she lives in the Okanagan Valley in BC, Canada with her husband and two incredible sons. Allie can be found dancing up a Zumba storm, paddleboarding, hiking, and snowshoeing when she's not behind her camera with clients or shooting videos. Hi, Allie. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for this conversation. I am so excited that you're here too. We already kind of geeked out on the fact that we are (laughs) sort of neighbors. We do. I love paddle boarding (laughs) and dancing up a storm. I'm not a Zumba girl, but I love a good dance party. So yay. So we're a match made in heaven. We are. Will you share a bit with the listeners about how you got into doing what you do with parents of teens? For sure. So I grew up as a very troubled teen in a very loving home, which like most was our parents doing the very best they could with what they knew, which wasn't half of what science knows now. And that created a ton of conflict and strife and and emotional disconnection. And I acted out in lots of ways. One of, as you said, like with, I started diet pills at 12. I started drinking heavily at 13. I was skipping school at 15 going from an award-winning academic student and award-winning athlete to starting to fail out by 16 and then literally failing out in a suicide attempt at 17. And I thought, 
you know, as much as at the time I wanted to blame it all on my parents and they were such uh, evil, horrible people, which is not true. I didn't think that number one, being a teen needed to be so hard because even then I knew fundamentally what I needed, but it wasn't what my parents were ever taught, nor did they have the capacity for. And I knew that being a parent didn't need to feel so hard either. So when I became a certified life coach, certified relationship systems coach back in 2006, I went back to school and did all my formalized training and certification. I knew I wanted to work with families. And that's what I did. I set out working with families, parents of tweens and teens. And the parents would always say to me, oh, we have a really toxic culture. We have a super toxic culture. Can you come and do this at my work? So 10 years later, I'd also done a whole bunch of corporate work on the culture to detoxify and humanize cultures. And then when COVID hit, I lost my all my in-person business. And I decided, okay, if I'm going to do this, I am seriously going to double down all online. And I am going all back to families because that's where my heart is. That is where I truly believe I can be part of changing generations and changing the world. Because when we get relationships right at home, we can change the world. Mm. I love all of that. I love that journey that you went through. And I think there's something really special about just our own personal experience empowering us to create change in the world. So thank you for sharing that. I discovered you when you and I were both speakers for an online summit for parents of teens last spring, which Mm -hmm. was really fun to be a part of. Talk a bit about what you love about supporting parents of teens, because those are the listeners. That's who's listening. Right. You know, I think the part I love the most is knowing internally what it was like to be that troubled teen. Mm. And now having been a parent, raising two incredible sons, all of the training and decades of therapy and personal development I've been through, I get to explain to parents in a way that they can understand what their teenager is actually saying, but not saying, and actually wants and needs, but is appearing like a prickly porcupine. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I get to translate. And Mm -hmm. I want to say really clearly for all of our listeners, this is not because you were not taught. Like you were not taught, you cannot fail at something you were not taught to do. Right. You're not failing. You're not a bad parent. This is like one of the worst jokes, punchlines in humanity is here. We as parents are attempting to raise other humans and nobody tells us the fundamental difference that's going to happen between raising a child and raising a teen and that your teenager is not actually just trying to piss you off. Mm -hmm. They're trying to figure out how to do life in a new brain, which also PS, no one told them was going to happen to them either. So they are rightfully angry. Yeah. I talk a lot about, you know, the adolescent years are messy. It's a rough terrain. It's not when things go sideways. I was just saying this to a client today. Things going sideways is not an indication that you are doing something wrong. Sometimes it's simply brain development. You know, and I really encourage parents to think about how to maintain relationship through those challenges so that when you get to the other side of the gauntlet, you've nurtured a relationship that they will want to come back to versus continue to pull away from. So I really appreciate what you're saying. You're right. There isn't a guidebook for it. I know for me, I was working with parents of kids under 12, really, when my kids were young. And figured, you know, it's probably not going to be that hard, the teen years, because I've been doing all this work, right? Right. I've been figuring myself (laughs) out. That's what I said. And (laughs) listen, and my listeners know, because I talk about it all the time, and my sweet, sweet daughter gives me permission to do that. But man, teen years hit really hard. Mental health challenges showed up that I was unprepared for. And then how those mental health challenges manifested into behavior so that I didn't realize I was looking at mental health. I thought I was looking at defiance and just was totally had the floor pulled out from under me. Got it together eventually and I'm super grateful for the community and the support that I have. What do you think are some of the misguided ideas about the teen years that parents have? I love this question so much. I can barely explain because (laughs) I think this is the question that I hope listeners hear 
What you said is, why aren't parents getting it right? Well, you didn't say that. You didn't say, why are teens acting out so much? You didn't say, you said, what are the misguided ideas? And this comes from the, actually the proof that again, as much as our parents loved and wanted well for us, they did not have the science of relationship study and physiological Mm -hmm. studies of the brain that we Mm -hmm. have now to know what we know. And Mm -hmm. so we parent the way we were parented. And that also is not a sign of a lack of intelligence. It's because our brains are wired to repeat what is familiar, what is ingrained in our emotional brains. So we parent the way we were parented. Sometimes even when we know it didn't work for us, we swore we would never do it. Our brains. Oh man, raise feel, your hand if you're relating to that statement. Right? I swore <laughs> yes, I was going to totally. be so different. And there I was, my mother fell out of my mouth. And that's mm-hmm. what ends up happening. And it's not because of a lack of quote unquote trying or wanting differently. It's because there's more to it than this. So the misguided principles, I would say, that show up the most in my work with parents of teens are these. First of all, the way you were parented still works as a way to parent. And unfortunately, again, science has proven that that is untrue, that control and command does not work, that uh, behavior-based parenting leads to short-term change, if that, generally more acting out defiance and disrespect, that it is not parenting from a behavioral perspective only, leads to only short-term behavior change, but doesn't address the actual problem that you are not parenting the same person, literally, you are not parenting the same human that you did when they were up to the age of approximately 10, because puberty can hit, gosh, anywhere between eight to 12 would be considered Mm -hmm. a tween these days. Their brain is going through the second and final growth phase in their lifetime. And when I say growth phase, I need you to understand, I'm not just talking about, yeah, 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 we know it takes until 25 to develop. No, 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 that's not what I mean. They are actually growing all new hardware and developing all the new software at the same time. So super inefficient. Plus it happens at random times during random parts of the day and in random parts of the brain. So (laughs) that's why it's so much fun. Oh, isn't it though? (laughs) This is, I think, one of the worst jokes on parents. I really do. Because what you knew and were good at for a decade isn't going to work anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. geez, Louise, could somebody have told me that? Could there not have been a meeting in grade five or grade six to tell me this was coming? Couldn't someone have told my teenager or my tween that this was going to happen? Anything anybody does for 10 years that gets pretty good at, you think they're going to do some more of it. So that's a misguided idea too, is that when your teen starts to misbehave, if you will, or step out of line or be someone who you don't know, our brains double down and do more of what worked, which mm-hmm. makes the problem worse. So that's another misguided idea. And, and it's, it's really unfortunate. So then as parents, we take it all personally yes. and we do everything we can to oppress and suppress what's going on with the out understanding that 100% of behavior is driven by emotion. 100% of behavior is driven by emotion. So if you actually want to make fundamental change, we as parents need to get in the mess and learn relationship skills, which nobody taught our parents. That was a luxury beyond what our parents got to understand how to connect with your teen, which is fundamentally where behavior changes, where influence is built. I did not say control, where influence Mm -hmm. is built, where trust and respect are built rather than control where behavior changes, that's like trying to push a balloon underwater and expecting it to stay or only like paying attention to the top one third of the iceberg that you see above the water. It will do nothing. It is exhausting. It is fruitless and it does nothing but disconnect you and your teen. So there's just so many misguided ideas. And I truly having been through it myself, my oldest son has generalized anxiety, OCD tendencies, and is mildly on the spectrum. So not only in my own personal development work, as you said that you did, I literally thought I was going to be Mary Poppins. And I hope you had a good laugh because I'm not joking. That's how I thought parenting was going to be. Cause I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I've already done a decade of therapy, another decade of like personal development. 
I like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to be Mary Poppins. This is going to be fine. It's fine. It's going to be fine. Yeah. It wasn't fine. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Thank God. Spring into summer is my favorite time of year. After turning 50 last September, I've been really working on my physical health and well-being and can honestly say that I am feeling better in my body than I have felt in a very long time. Yes, credit goes to movement and working out, but even more credit goes to how I'm feeding my body. That's why I love Factor. I fuel up with Factor's no prep, no mess meals, 35 different meal choices, and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. I always have a new flavor to explore. It's amazing. You can crush your wellness goals this May, keep time in the kitchen to a minimum, and enjoy effortless support for the lifestyle you want to be living with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust from Factor. Head over to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use the code joyful50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50. Again, that's 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Yes, yes, yes. Join me. Join me in the health revolution and feel really good this summer. Hey friends, as a podcast listener myself, I always get so excited to share when I find a new show that I think is super useful. So today I want to tell you about Understood Explains. This is a podcast that tackles one important topic per season. And this season is all about navigating individualized education plans and is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ertube. Getting the support our kids need in school can feel tricky, and we aren't always sure what it is that they need. When I listened to the episode titled, Does My Child Need an IEP? It offered up so much useful information that I could really see supporting parents who are in this consideration. The host is so knowledgeable and really breaks down the content in a way that helps listener go from completely overwhelmed to actually starting to feel empowered. Other episodes in the series highlight the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, as well as a whole episode that busts common myths about special education. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Understood Explains. So check it out. You won't be sorry. How old are your boys? They are 19 and 21 now. Okay. All right. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how much we learn from them. I like to joke that my listeners have heard me say this before, like parenting is, and if we've made it through the first 10 years and haven't realized this, the adolescent years definitely lands that we are in a personal growth and development workshop that we did not sign up for. Like, <laughs> like oh, there's yeah. no memory and of signing think- up for this training. And yet here we are having the opportunity to really, and I think that's an important distinction too, because parents, I mean, the people that I tend to work with that stick around really get that they get to be in the willingness and be in the choice of growing and learning and expanding their mindset around kids and themselves. And like you're talking about our conditioning, letting go of that behaviorist approach, thinking that consequences and punishment rewards are how we like manipulate them into doing the right thing. I think that this is where we get to really lean into emotional development, which you mentioned like it's something that has to be taught to us. Emotional development doesn't happen without adults supporting us in that development or, you know, choosing in and being willing to grow that part of ourselves. So I'm really excited to hear what you're talking about because I absolutely believe wholeheartedly in all of it as well. Yeah. It's like there's a misnomer that kind of says, well, I can scientifically prove that your brain is growing the capacity to know these things. So therefore you should just know them. Mm-hmm. You should just know them. I shouldn't have to tell you this. You should just know it. And this is what I tell parents is 
their brain is growing the capacity for a lot of these things like independent thought, critical analysis, decision-making, empathy skills, all of these things, Mm -hmm. but they don't wake up one night having had the disc installed on how to use that new capacity. Yes. They're in the development. Yeah. And unfortunately, because our parents were not given the, the luxury of learning that, and it truly, in a lot of ways, was a luxury and is still in many ways part of privilege to learn that, to be mentored mm-hmm. in those things. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. as a generation are changing the next generation when we choose to get in the mess of figuring out what these concepts mean to you and then how you will translate those concepts for your team to learn as well. Yeah, I love that. You have a program and has a great title, Becoming a Boundary Boss. Where do you see parents struggling? And I know this, I feel like this was kind of your talk in the teen summit had to do with boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So with the parents that you work with, where are you seeing them and hearing them talk about struggling with boundaries? What does that look like? Well, the biggest thing is they don't know what a boundary is. And again, I'm not saying this is about intelligence. You're wildly intelligent. You're caring, courageous. You're here and you're listening. So I honor Mm -hmm. that. You can only know what you know. And our generation was raised believing that a boundary was a threat, an ultimatum, manipulation, emotional coercion, or control. And so Mm -hmm. we are going around setting air quote boundaries, unquote, can't figure out why they're not working because that's not a boundary. And so we're using what I call unhealthy relationship tools to try and create positive change. And we don't realize those are not healthy relationship tools. So the number one place I see parents struggling is first of all, with a lack of understanding of what they are. Why? Because we're not taught this. I mean, I skipped a lot of school, but there was no relationship class. And you probably would have shown up for that one because it would have been interesting. Heck yeah. And then I would have gone home and preached it and it wouldn't have gone real well. (laughs) (laughs) So I also see them struggling with boundaries in this way. And this can be a little bit prickly because of the way you and I were raised in our generation, Gen Y, Gen X, the statistics currently is that 80% of our generation is codependent. (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) Now, let me explain. Here's how this relates to boundaries. Here's what I'm talking about. Codependence, as relative to how previous generations were raised, is that I was responsible for how my parents felt. So if my parents were angry, I was told it must have been something I did. Mm -hmm. Or I was told preventatively, you better not do so-and-so or you'll make your dad mad. So I Mm -hmm. had to constantly police my own thoughts and feelings in order to caretake someone else's behavior and emotions, which were never mine to take on. They were never my responsibility. So then now take me as a child. Now I'm a parent. And now as a parent, without understanding unconsciously, I'm now projecting the same thing on my child. I'm trying to set a boundary air quotes, boundary. Mm -hmm. But what I'm doing is saying to my child, you should be more responsible for my feelings. You're not being or doing the way I want you to be. So I can feel the way I want to feel, hold the beliefs about myself. I want to hold and have the experience that I want to have. What is your problem? Yeah. Why aren't you being the way I want you to be? And here's where then it goes to the other side. So that's the control side because they both come from the same source, codependence and being responsible for someone else's feelings. There's, I can come out that as control or I can come underneath of that via catering. So I'm trying to set boundaries, but I still have this fundamental message in my brain that says I'm responsible for my teenager's feelings. And if they're mad at me, I must be a bad parent. So I'm going to have to constantly abandon or betray what feels right for me to make my teen happy. So then I raise an entitled team, all coming from the belief that somehow either they are responsible for my feelings and behaviors, or I am responsible for theirs. Neither one is true. And that is where I see the perversion, if you will, of what boundaries were when you were a child relative to what science has and relationship studies have shown us boundaries actually are. So a lot of that has to do with looking at myself first and what is an issue 
<laughs> an issue. It starts mm-hmm. with me, the way I perceive myself and that maybe I am responsible for all of my thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And also maybe I am worthy and deserving of respect. Even if someone told me I wasn't, or someone never told me I was. Okay. We need to sit with this, Allie. This is huge. <laughs> I so appreciate this. Because it is so slippery. Like, we don't even realize. And shout out to all of my Gen X brothers and sisters. Heck yeah. We are the best generation and we've got some shit to work out. (laughs) We do. We do. (laughs) You know, like, I think about knowing very clearly the things about me that were disappointing to my parents, Mm -hmm. not because they even said straight out loud, this is disappointing. I mean, sometimes I heard that, but yeah, you know, I think about all the things that we say to our kids. I'm thinking about how, you know, I've worked with parents who are like, you know, I'm trying to get my teenager to understand they are in charge of their emotions. Yes. They are in charge of how they feel. Yes. And then on the flip side, also those same parents being like, I need them to know how angry it makes me when they X, Y, Z. Or how hurt I am because of this. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes. So I appreciate that you highlighted both that control piece as well as the catering piece because it can go, you know, some of us lean more towards controlling. Some of us lean more towards catering. Some of us, you know, my hand is raised kind of pendulum swing when we're not in our most present, aware, self-regulated state of mind. Yes. And both are damaging. Both are not in service to the full potential of our kids and of the relationship that, you know, everybody that's listening knows, like, that's what we're here to do is nurture relationship. This is where we have influence. And when it gets tainted, you know, by this codependency, which by the way, I am working through Codependent No More, which is an old Amazing book. It's like the Bible of codependence. (laughs) Yes, it's so good. Everyone Google it, get it off Amazon. I'm listening to it. But, you know, it's so useful to start to pay attention to what's happening for us, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. you said, your issues, my issues, the parental issues, because when we can take care of ourselves there, and I use the iceberg metaphor all the time, so my listeners know what that means. When that's an under the surface of the iceberg issue, like Mm -hmm. that's where we go and can actually influence what's happening at the surface Mm -hmm. is when we go below the surface and do our work. So I really appreciate Mm -hmm. that. And, you know, one of the foundations, I'm a positive discipline trainer. And one of the concepts of positive discipline is being kind and firm at the same time. And I think sometimes kindness gets misinterpreted as being nice all the time. And that is not what... I'm talking about kindness is about being connected to the person in front of you, treating them with dignity and respect and firmness being connecting to and respecting self and the needs of the situations. You know, like there's the boundaries and you said it, having boundaries around how I'm willing to be treated, Mm -hmm. right? How am I willing to be treated? How else do you see, because I think boundaries, like it's, you know, there's rules. Well, and actually this is where we're going. That difference between boundaries and expectations. Can you tease those two things apart for listeners? Oh, sure. And I think this is a fabulous question because if I were to answer the previous question is where do they struggle? It's this boundaries versus expectation. So here's my definition. The first part of this is from Prentice Hemphill, which is a quote in Dr. Brené Brown's most recent book, Atlas of the Heart. Love her. A boundary is a place where I simultaneously love and respect you and me. Mm. Now, I also describe that as a boundary is a negotiation. And this is where you're going from this kindness and people come at me in my comments and say, oh, you're raising a bunch of snowflakes. You're trying to be your team's best friend. So A boundary is a place where I know my bottom line, but I'm willing to negotiate up to the bottom line in service of understanding what's important to the other, to my team, and what respect looks like to them, because I guarantee you define it differently. It also says boundaries are come from a place of ownership. In other words, whose feelings are they? They are your feelings. Whose experience is it? 
It is your experience. And whose first move is it? Yours. Boundaries come from ownership. They are your feelings, your experience you want to create. And it is up to you to make the first move. Mm. Okay. Expectations. Wait, can we go back to that really quick? Sure. So it's up to you to make the first move. Tell me a little bit about that. What do you mean? Okay. So I think I know, but I want to hear you say it. (laughs) Okay. So an expectation is a projection of my values, beliefs, or how I want to feel and my experience where I should that on someone else. I expect them to believe what I believe, hold important what I hold important and to behave in a way that reflects that. So I feel better about myself. I feel less insecure and afraid and it reinforces what I want to believe about me. Primarily, I'm a good parent. So there's a dichotomy by boundaries come from ownership. It's up to me. It starts with me. Expectations are you need to change so I can feel the way I want to feel. So an example of a boundary, your teenager leaves their wet towel on the bathroom floor. Every GD love and day. Hmm. I don't know anything about that, Allie. No, I'm sure you don't. I just, we're, I'm talking <laughs> for friends. We have friends who message us this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you say to your teen, pick up your towel, which is not a clear request, by the way, anyway. Then you say to them again, pick up your towel. And every day you say, pick up your towel, but every day you go in and pick it up for them. Mm-hmm. Because, and then I have parents who say this to me all the time, but if I leave it on the floor, the dog goes and pees on it. I'm like, okay. Oh. So put the wet towel in their room and close the door. Or if Mm -hmm. the dog pees on it, put it in their room on the floor. Mm -hmm. It's not about shaming. It's about, okay, natural consequence, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. But the boundary is I stop rescuing them. And then pretending that they're making me pick up the towel. Since when is my teenager making me pick up the towel? Right. They're not making me pick up the towel. My kid doesn't put his dishes in the dishwasher after breakfast and he leaves them on the table. Is anybody making me pick up those dishes and put them in the dishwasher? No. So it starts with me. It starts with me deciding that I am worthy of respect and not being treated or perhaps acting like a maid or a servant. That starts with me. If you are waiting for your teenager to come home and deem you as worthy of respect, oh, good Lord, you'll be waiting. Like pour yourself a cup of tea because that's not happening. You decide. It starts with you. Then it starts with how you believe and hold yourself as being worthy and deserving of respect as an equal human, not equal in authority, equal human with your teen. Then it starts with your behavior. Stop picking up the towel. Stop putting the dishes in the dishwasher. Yes, if they ruin a towel, then great. They can earn the money to buy another towel. If it destroys property like your bathroom floor or their quilt, then they can earn the money to pay to replace it. Not because you're being mean, because you love them and believe in their capacity and capability as they learn healthy new habits to be a successful independent adult. That's what boundaries are for. Yes, when you're parenting, boundaries, yes, are about love and respect for each other. And showing your teenager, I love and respect you enough to not treat you like you're two. Right. I love and respect you enough to treat you like a growing adult who is eventually going to live on their own and teach you healthy, independent skills without rescuing you from the consequences. Yep. And I think an important piece of this, too, is if you have a chronic problem, like my kid never picks up the towel from the floor or doesn't clean their room or won't take out the garbage or never gets their homework in or whatever, right? Fill in the blank. That's a place too, where we get to circle back with them and say, hey, I'm noticing that you're struggling with this thing. Let's talk about it. What's going on? What's getting in your way? And let's come up with a plan together. Let's co-create a plan so that you can be successful and we can create a win-win. Exactly. So what you did there was, first of all, you decided to have compassion. Because Mm -hmm. again, boundaries as a parent is about training your teenager's brain, which is wildly inefficient and a quagmire of chaos going on in there. Not because they're not intelligent, just as a function of their uh, brain growth and development. And you are choosing to see them as such, a budding brain. So when you got compassionate, you also decided, and this is hard for a lot of parents, you have never, ever been perfect. 
when you were building a new habit, and even after you did it for 10 amazing years, you're still not perfect at it. And when you have compassion for remembering that they are in a learning phase, not a perfection Mm -hmm. phase, because you aren't, so why would they be? Then it is easier for you to be curious to say to them, hey, we had a talk about this boundary. I see that something's not working. Um, Do we need to renegotiate? Maybe putting the garbage Mm -hmm. out at that time of day is really stressful for you because you already have all these other things going on. You know, so few times teenagers are asked to participate in the negotiation. When most of the time they have some super creative ideas you would have never thought of. And you'd be like, huh, okay, that feels really hard for me because AKA it's not my idea. And that's how we operate as parents because that's how we were raised. Not my idea. Hadn't thought about it that way. That's kind of weird, but yeah, that will work. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's try that if you're willing. So I want to bounce back to expectations for a second. Expectations are also top down. They are tell, sell, command, control. They operate in fundamental truths that are not capital T truths. They are beliefs. So an expectation, I get this all the time, you should be at least a B student. And if you're not, then you're going to lose all your privileges. Um, There's some really successful people in the world who didn't even finish elementary school. Yeah. So what is it about a B average? Well, probably you had that hammered into your head by your parents that you did not have worth and you had to earn through behavior. You had to earn their love and approval. That's not what boundaries are. Boundaries are an emotional currency at a relational level. Expectations operate from behavior and forcing values and beliefs, which also science proves, even if you stand next to your teenager, you they will not osmosis all of your values and beliefs because they're an independent yeah. human being. Expectations say you do it my way or the highway. There's no negotiation. It's right, wrong. And expectations operate from should. The root word within should is criticism. Mm -hmm. So you're actually attempting to criticize someone into being more like you or prioritizing what is important to you. Now you might say, well, boundaries are the same. Like I'm trying to get them to understand that it's important to take the garbage out unless they want to have a rodent problem or ants or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But boundaries are coming at it knowing that they're a different human being. It's not just about what you want. It's about that understanding also teenage brains. If you, this is kind of sciencey for a sec, but the Yerkes Dodson okay. principle, it's Y E R K E S Dodson, D O D S O N. Yerkes Dodson principle is a principle in the brain that explains how all of our brains require a certain level of positive stimulus to move into execution or action. Okay. So, This is one of the big struggles with parents setting boundaries for their teens is they say, I'd love for you to take out the garbage by seven o'clock or else they're just not specific, which doesn't work at all. You can't say, I want you to take out the garbage. That means nothing to a teen because remember, they don't care anyway. One day I will. Yeah, one day I will. (laughs) One day. So Yerkes Dodson covers that the teenage brain requires an extensively longer period of time to build natural stimulus until they move to motivation or execution or behavior action. Okay. That, so mm-hmm. if you look at the scale of the Yerkes Dodson principle, the fastest a type into action, guess what? Adult females in general, these are general terms, then the adult male. And then further down the scale is the teen female brain. Then mm-hmm. further down the scale is the male teen brain. And then if you look at neurodiversity, ADHD brains are even beyond and before that, particularly if it's a teen boy. Do you mean that? So let me just make sure I understand Like I'm tracking. So you mean like that translates to like who gets cooperative quicker, basically? Yeah. Who moves into action faster? Okay. So then you lay on top of the science of the level of stimulus required to move into action with a teen brain and add on top of that. They simply don't care about what you care about. Right, which is not a character flaw. You better strap on some patience, my friends, because welcome to parenting. It's not a character flaw. And I get so frustrated when parents label their teen as fundamentally lazy and irresponsible Mm -hmm. when, again, we are not told this science of how the brain operates, what boundaries are, that your teen will never care as much as you care. And so you're dealing with a different brain, you're dealing with a different development phase, 
You're dealing with different personality styles. And we conflate this with morality all the time. First of all, my teen is obviously less of a moral character. So I must be failing as a teen, which triggers my state of fight or flight because I need to believe I'm a good parent. So then I become more controlling. Then you see how my teen is behaving and we were raised in the same way. So then you're like, "Mm, she's kind of lacking as a parent because parent shaming is an Olympics. And now I take that shaming and I place it back on my team. Yeah. I think it's so interesting too, just going back to the example of like, I have an expectation that you're going to perform a certain way with school. (laughs) External performance. The other thing I hear is, well, and it's probably come out of my, I'm sure it's come out of my mouth as well, which is, you know, your grades aren't important to me. What's important to me is that you're doing the best you can. Effort. Yep. Effort. Yeah. And we forget that like when I lift up and out and look at my own effort, right? Mm -hmm. Do I show up to every workout doing the best I can? Am I doing the best I can for someone who is uninspiring versus someone who's inspiring? Am I doing the best I can at something that I feel passionate about versus something I'm not passionate about? You know, and we're throwing kids into these school buildings, expecting for them to connect the dots around, just do what they're asking you to do. I promise, trust me, it matters. Even as they're like, but this doesn't matter. Like the classic, I'm not going to have to do this math. (laughs) As an adult, Mm -hmm. you keep telling me how important this is. And it's just so interesting how we get scared. I think a lot of parents get scared. And so like you said, you know, they double down on that expectation and it's just not useful. Now, I do think in conversations, you know, especially around school, getting curious about what your child's expectation is, like how do they want to do in school? What is important to them? Is it important to them to graduate? Do they have certain colleges on the brain? My son is 16 and a sophomore. So we've been talking a lot about, oh my God, he'll be a junior when this podcast comes out. (laughs) That's weird. But we've been talking so much about college and he's got schools in mind. And so my encouragement is, well, you know, look up and see what is the average GPA, you know, on paper that the kids at this school are coming in with. What are the things that this school's looking at? And what can you do so that on paper, you're upping the likelihood that you get an acceptance letter. And then, you know what? It's his. And I asked him, I was like, do you want me to take on a stronger role with you with school? And he was like, yeah. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to pull you along. I'm not going to drag you along, but I will walk beside you towards the goals that you set, you know? So, you know, expectations, as I'm hearing you say it, is really the language that I use around that. I think I talk about the narrative that we're holding. like. This is how you do it. This is how it goes. This is what it should look like versus, and you know it and I know it because of our own kids, like unique wiring above and beyond just the typical development. Like we all have very unique people that we are raising. And so the idea that we can dictate what it's all supposed to look like and somehow like bring in the guardrails so much that they're just gonna, you know, step in line. It's just... Oh, sweet parents. I know, right? We're so confused. The problem is it worked (laughs) for our parents and it was fear-based. Ish. I mean, how much therapy did we have to do? A decade. I mean, I guess it worked. I'm not officially done. Yeah. Oh, I just went yesterday. I mean, we're surviving our parenting. And I mean, you know, for most of us, there's definitely pieces that it all comes from a place of love and having the skills that we have, but in the moment and- I would love for my kids not to need a ton of therapy. A little bit's fine because therapy's for everyone, but. And I'm never going to be a perfect parent. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. 
Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I always tell parents, pay for the first year of therapy and go from there. Oh, I told my kids, I will pay for therapy forever. (laughs) There's a saying by the author of Tuesdays with Maury. He said, children are like a pristine piece of glass. There is no, absolutely no way to get your child to adulthood without tarnishing, cracking, or scratching that glass in some way. Yeah. So this is what it is. And we be prepared to soften ourselves and apologize, Mm -hmm. not beg and plead your child for forgiveness, because that's a whole other topic, forgiveness and trust. But anyway, we don't fool ourselves to say we're not setting boundaries around grades because we know that's not good, but they are sure as heck going to put in the effort and fulfill their potential. Okay. (laughs) I hear that on the daily in my DMs (laughs) 10 times a day. Here's what you're missing out on. Effort. This is my math equation. Effort equals belief in self. Okay. I have to believe in myself. I must believe in a probable success. Like there has to be at least some chance that I'll succeed at it if I'm going to put in effort. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the third, which parents really, really misunderstand, I must understand what is the risk of failure. Okay. So effort equals belief in myself, belief in a probability of success, and what is the risk of failure? So number one, teenagers, their self-esteem drops up to 30% during adolescence because of the physiological changes within their brain as it completely rewrites their sense of identity. Okay. Yeah. If it happened, if we were adults, there'd be serious drugs for that. And then we can't figure out why teens are leaning into substances. They feel like they're broken Mm -hmm. and going crazy because no one's telling them this. So fundamentally, they don't always believe in themselves. And worse off, if they're in a really struggling state and they believe, as I did when I was a teen, that I was stupid, I was a failure, I hated every part of myself, I hated every word that came out of my body, I was fat, ugly, it goes on and on. Okay, well, there's Mm -hmm. one out of three that I did not have. Number two, the belief of succeeding. Well, I was an award-winning student until I wasn't. And so I no longer believed that I had what it took to succeed. And I didn't know why. So I know now why I have a photographic memory and PS, a photographic memory does not make you a smart person or a great student. So I had no study skills. Things got hard in grade 10. I entered the IB, the advanced program, and all of a sudden photographic memory, it no worky doesn't help. So number two, I didn't believe I had what it took to succeed anymore. Okay. And PS trying anything where you feel as though that effort reinforces that you suck and you're a failure. Tell me how willing you are to do that. Are you willing to do it every day? Mm -hmm. Would you go back and do it every day? How about today? How about now? No, you wouldn't. No, you would not. Well, especially as like a 15, 16 year old who's already insecure enough. You are not going to do things that reinforce failure. You don't want to look like a fool. So then number three is risk of failure. If I perceive failing, the risk of really failing as failing a grade, reinforcing that I am a failure, proving that you don't love me if I don't externally achieve certain results, Mm -hmm. I won't try because not trying hurts slightly less than trying and proving I was right. I do suck. Mm. Yeah. All behavior is driven by emotion. Sometimes I wonder too, just with the pandemic, and I'm looking at the time, I cannot believe how quick time went I know, by, Allie. It's crazy. So I feel like with the pandemic, like everything that made the system of school endurable for kids was stripped away, and all they were left with was the teaching yeah. and the learning. Yep. You know, granted, I know teachers did the very best they could, and many teachers are amazing, and many teachers are not. And mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of pulled the curtain back on that we have a system that doesn't work for all kids. It's antiquated 
and it is broken and that is not a cut against teachers. Yeah. There are many incredible yeah. teachers. No, it's systemic. Yeah. But I think without inspiration and without encouragement, I think inspiration and encouragement fits inside of this effort formula as well because I mean, I think there's kids that really are super self-driven mm -hmm. and partly that's you know, nature versus nurture, sure. right? Some kids, it is in their nature, like, I know what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. And nobody's going to get in my right. way. Versus kids that are a little bit, or a lot bit less self-driven. And then couple that with this external, you know, conversation around, well, you better do this, or you don't get this, or this is what I think about you, or this is disappointing to us, you know, and how that really gets in the way of them even being in the consideration of, what is it that I want? And I heard you say it when you said the risk of failure, when we know what our parents want, and it seems as though what they want is more important to them than we are as a human being, it is the perfect outlet to stick it to them. Yeah. yeah. Right? Well, watch this. Watch what I can do. And it's amazing. It's just heartbreaking to me because what kids don't realize in that dynamic is this is your life. And yeah, you got the raw deal as far as the parenting that you're getting. But, you know, my goal is always, I want my kids to make choices for them and not for me. I want them to always think about how is this going to affect my life? Not, am I going to disappoint my mom? Right. right. But there's a distinct difference when teens dig in their heels like that. First of all, they don't have the perspective on the rest of life to know the true impact of the consequence. But here's fundamentally what they're doing. And I will tell you this because I did this myself. When they dig in their heels, they are making a vote for themselves, being pushed up against a wall. They are making a vote and taking a stand for what they can no longer tolerate mm -hmm. or what they need that they cannot communicate. They are not taking a vote against you. Please don't construe it that way. I mean, it might be semantics. I mean, I feel like we're saying the same thing because I do feel like we only have a capacity to hold so much hurt yes. and then we've got to get rid of it and we've got to pass it around, right? And so sometimes it looks like a kid or a person, a human, an adult coming home from work and not being able to shake off whatever happened at work that was painful. And so, you know, there's some moodiness, there's some snarkiness passed around the family or a kid that, you know, that's doing that as well. But I do think that it's not, again, not a character flaw, but a dynamic that can be set up where kids feel like it hurts me so much that the most important thing about me is the grades or the clothes or the achievements in sports that I'm going to show you. And I think exactly what you're saying, like I'm taking a stand for myself by giving you the metaphoric middle finger yep. by not performing in the way that you want me to perform. Watch this. Look what I can do. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Allie, I have like five more questions for you that we didn't <laughs> even get to. We're going to have to do an Instagram live or something because I want to talk about natural consequences. You mentioned it early on. By the way, everyone, that book, Tuesdays with Maury, I looked it up real quick. Mitch Albom, A-L-B-O-M, is the author of that. But before we wrap up, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to make sure you leave listeners with today? Yeah, I want to say again, this is the hardest job in the world that you never got any training for. And your parents didn't yeah. either. So I know no matter where you're at in your parenting journey, no matter where your teen is at, this is not a moral judgment of you or them. This isn't about intelligence or care or love. You do love your child. You are an intelligent person and a caring and loving, courageous parent. You are. I hold that as true. And I know for sure you're doing the very best that you can. Until people yeah. like you and myself continue to preach and yell and do what we do and get more of this information out there, to empower parents to do things in ways that are less exhausting, build more confidence and connection. Mm -hmm. What I guess I would say is this, it's a process. It starts with you. Mm -hmm. Take your time, be gracious with yourself, let it be messy and know that it's baby steps over time make a huge difference at the end. And it is never too late to change a relationship. You can do only what you can do, but it's never too late. 
I believe in you. Yes, I believe that too. What does joyful courage mean to you, Allie? I think it means a little bit of what I just mentioned. It's Mm -hmm. about having the courage to step into something, but doing it joyfully to me is a reminder that it's going to be messy. It might feel hard sometimes. Sometimes I'm going to fall flat on my face and Mm -hmm. I'm going to give myself that permission to be a human being, growing, processing, learning process. And so I'm going to joyfully have courage, joyful courage. Yeah, I love that. And I love thinking about human being versus human becoming. Yes. I feel like we're all human, human becoming. Yeah, we are. Where can people find you and follow your work? You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Allie Payne, A-L-Y-P-A-I-N. That's, yep, like, ouch, spell it like it feels is my last name. Um, Can we talk about TikTok? Because, (laughs) whoa, everyone, I mean, by the time this goes live, you might have like a million (laughs) viewers, but right now you've got like a half a million people that follow you on TikTok. So parents, if you're on TikTok, definitely look up Allie. It's very inspirational. And I got to be on Rachel Ray even. You did. I know it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So Allie's a big deal, everybody. <laughs> so go follow her. In her own mind. Uh, yeah. So you can find right. me there or on my website, AllyPayne.com. Those are the best three places to find me and my work. And I'm really grateful for being here. I hope this conversation has given a few parents some ahas and light bulbs to know that they're on the right path. Sometimes a few small changes make a big difference and that they really are doing okay. Thank you so much. Yay. All right. Thank you again for listening in to another show. Please check the show notes for any links mentioned in this episode. If you liked what you heard today, will you do me a favor and share it? Screenshot the show, plaster it all over your socials so that other parents know that we are creating value over here for them. If you really want to earn a gold star, head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. This does so much for the show, for the exposure. It's a great way to give back. Thank you to my team at Sproutable for all your support. Alana, Julieta, I love you so much. Thank you to Chris Mann and the team at Podshaper for keeping the show sounding so good. And you, listener, thank you for continuing to show up. This is hard work that we're doing. I encourage you in this moment, in this moment together, let's take a deep breath in and follow that into your body. Hold it for a moment. Exhale. And with that exhale, release the tension. And I invite you to trust. Trust that everything is going to be okay. I'm so happy to support you. So glad to have spent time with you today. I'll see you next week. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel 
real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking.